0: Alright, so we're in Joshua chapter 14, where we're going to kind of do in this chapter, we're going to kind of go over some of the technical things in here, why this is here, kind of like we've been doing in the previous weeks, but then, uh, we see the well-known story about Caleb who wants that mountain, and we all know the song, I Want That Mountain, and that's based off of this chapter. And so after we go through this, we're pretty much going to go to that story, and then we're just going to preach, alright? This is, you know, because, uh, obviously some fra- good phrases in there, that will preach, and, uh, you know, other than that, it said uh, that the technical stuff doesn't preach that good. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. So this might turn in, this is going to start out pretty technical expository. And then we're going to switch to full blown camp meeting, uh, you know, three points, a little song and a dance, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so in the previous two chapters, we basically uh, have a record of the kings they conquered and then the division of the land. and And we've talked a lot about why these things were recorded, why it was so important, why it was especially significant during Old Testament time. We kind of tend to gloss over these things, but it's all there for a reason. It's all important. But here in chapter 14, we're kind of seeing the same thing where it's talking about the division of the land. But in this story, like we often see in the Bible, even and I talk about this, how even when it's given us the technical details about how they got the law, it's not just the law that we're reading about in the books of Moses, but we're reading the stories that led up to them getting the law. We're reading about how they got the law, which let's just admit, say makes it way more interesting, doesn't it? It just makes the Bible a lot easier to read. It makes a law easier to read when you kind of have these stories mixed in there to really help you out. And here, what we're going to see in this chapter is a story um, behind a certain uh, distribution of the land and, It's there because this is a very unique situation with a very exceptional individual. Caleb obviously was a very special person. Uh, There was only two people that got to go into the promised land that were over 20 that uh, had come out of Egypt, and that was Caleb and Joshua. And we've seen a lot about Joshua, but we don't really see a whole lot about Caleb until we get to this story. And so uh, we're going to highlight some things about him as we go through this, but let's go ahead and start reading. In verse 1 it says And these are the countries which the children of israel inherited in the land of canaan uh, which Eleazar the priest and joshua the son of nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of israel distributed for inheritance to them by lot was their inheritance as the lord commanded by the hand of moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe for moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half tribe on the other side jordan But unto the Levites he gave none inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land save cities to dwell in with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. So what I want to do right now, I want to briefly explain all these different tribes just because it's important that you just know this. Uh, Whenever you're reading other passages in the Bible, because it can get a little confusing sometimes, because if I were to ask you how many tribes of Israel were there, you know, you would all say there's 12, right? (laughs) But in reality, we've got the names of 13 tribes. And technically, you could almost say 14 tribes, too, because of the fact you have the tribe of Joseph. But Joseph is also the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, which were the two sons of Joseph. So that actually makes 14 different names Or you could say 13 tribes, but you know, they call them the half tribe. But either way, why was it done this way? Why did Joseph get a tribe of Ephraim and a tribe of Manasseh? And some of you might remember this when we were going through Genesis. Uh, If you all pay super close attention, you remember everything I teach. But just in case somebody might have forgotten, this little detail just slipped, uh, which I'm sure you all remember. Well, let's do a refresher. In Genesis chapter 48, of course, we know Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. We also need to remember the nation of Israel, right? It, Israel is not just the name of a geographical location. It's the name of a man. And is the name. it was the name that God gave to the man Jacob. He is the one that this nation is named after. And uh, I, I think it's interesting too because, you know, why didn't he name it after Abraham? Why isn't the nation of Abraham? You ever wondered about that? Well, let me just give you my opinion, all right? This is totally free. This is just my opinion. But I think it's because Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And uh, Ishmael doesn't get the inheritance. Ishmael doesn't get the blessing. He was uh, a child that was, you know, not of promise like Isaac was. So then why not Isaac? Why wasn't known as the nation of Isaac? Well, you know, Isaac also had two sons. And there was one that, you know, we see... Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? There was one that God favored. There was one that God had chosen over Esau. Esau, who represents also the physical people, Jacob, who represents the spiritual. God always chooses the spiritual over the physical, and that's why you've got a physical Israel and you've got a spiritual Israel. Guess which one God's going to choose? All right, spiritual. So, uh, Jacob, though, he's the one where all of his kids, all of his descendants, were included in this and his 12 sons, even though they were a pretty rough group. And we saw that going through Genesis. And so God ended up uh, naming this nation after him. So understand if you're the guy who the nation is named after, if you're one of these main patriarchs that God used, if you're the one that has 12 sons, unlike the previous two generations only had two sons and only one of them even counted, then you pull a lot of weight. You know, you can say some things and the following generations have to do it. And we see that kind of thing. And I don't have time to go into all of that. But in Genesis 48 verse 21, when Jacob is, he's blessed, you know, he, we see in chapters 48 and 49, he's blessing Joseph's sons. And then in uh, chapter 49, I believe it is, he blesses all of his sons. But in verse 21 it says, And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So Jacob, who is the leader of Israel, who has the promise of this land that they haven't possessed yet, Jacob said, when it comes time to get that land, you get an extra portion above your brethren. And he did that because Jacob was the favorite son of, or Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. So that's one of the, when you see them dividing the land up into parts, because there was Ephraim and Manasseh, in reality, Joseph's gotten double, hasn't he? Joseph ended up receiving double, and that's why he did that. But then, you know, that kind of messes things up because we see God tends to like to do things in twelves, doesn't he? He had 12 disciples, there's the 12 tribes, there's a lot of twelves that we see in the Bible, and so what they did is that the land was still divided up into 12 parts, Because Levi didn't get an inheritance. The Lord was their inheritance. And they were the ones that were in charge of the priesthood. So since they didn't have a land to dwell in uh, and to take care of, then there would have been 11 parts. But there were still 12 parts because of the fact that Joseph got a double portion. So if you ever see that and you kind of get confused on that, uh, just understand, I I think what we're seeing going on here is God wanted to divide the land up into 12s. But God also chose the Levites to be his servants and to not get an inheritance. And Joseph had to get a double portion. So it just kind of all worked out good that way. And I know that's just kind of some technical stuff, but it's still important to understand. So in verse 5, it says, As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Again, Israel is obeying Moses, just like they were supposed to. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses the man of God concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Now let's think about this for, for a minute because this is this is pretty interesting when you stop and think about it. At this point in the nation of Israel, and there's a lot of them in there. You know, some people think over 2 million. I don't know how many there were. But Caleb and Joshua are the two oldest men in Israel. And while I don't know for sure how old Joshua was, we know that Caleb is at least 20 years older than everyone else because he was 40 when they came out of Egypt. And everybody that was over 20 died in the wilderness. So, he's got at least 20 years on everybody that's there. That kind of makes you a unique figure when you're just kind of, you know, one out of two old guys, you know, out of a couple million people, right? And, uh, but he was a very special person because of what he did. Now, you know, um, I'm going to share some more opinion and speculation, all right? I think I'm allowed to do that as long as I put a disclaimer in there, all right? But... Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point out some things that I believe about Caleb that might sound kind of weird, but I I think I'm right. And if I'm right, you know, it makes a great point and it'll, it'll preach too. But anyway, uh, verse eight, and if it'll preach, it's gotta be true, right? But verse eight says, never, uh, let's keep reading though. It says, nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. He said, and we, uh, we all know that story very well about the 12 spies. And when you read that story, it was mainly Caleb that was speaking. We don't really see Joshua speaking, but yet we know that Joshua was with him. Joshua was ready to do the right thing. But Caleb was the one that's like, hey, we can take them. The Lord's delivered it into our hand. We see Caleb had great faith. He was ready to go fight while everybody else literally gets the entire congregation literally crying. That's how, that's how doom and gloom they were. But Caleb, he was ready to go. And, and think about this, Caleb. Now keep this in mind. Caleb and Joshua wandered in the wilderness for forty years because of what everybody else did. Think about that. These guys did the right thing. It's like God should have let them go in and let everybody else, you know, hang out in the wilderness. But you know what? It was part. It was a team thing. They were part of the team. And they did. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, even though they did the right thing. But you say, well, God did bless them because, of course, they did get to go into the land. But I think he did. I think God did even more than that for Caleb. But verse 9 says, And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land where on thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. So Caleb had a promise to receive an inheritance Because he was a man of faith, and we do, we see God greatly rewards faith in the Bible. And so, even though Israel wasn't going to go in that promised land, even though Moses wasn't even going to get to go into the promised land, Moses made a promise to Caleb that you're going to get an inheritance. You've got something coming. You are going to inherit some land. And it was because he wholly followed the Lord, folks. When you give it all to God, it's going to pay off. Now, here's the thing: it might take. It took Caleb 40 years. But when you obey completely, when you do things right, it's going to pay off. Let me just say this too, you know, for any Caleb's we might have in here, I'm going to be preaching to in a little bit that, you know, want to do something for God. Maybe want to go in the ministry someday, pastor a church someday. Let me just say this to you that li- listen, if it's going to pay off, if you wait on God, it's always going to pay off. You know why we mess everything up in literally everything in business. We want everything. We want everything yesterday. You know why we mess things up spiritually? We want it yesterday. We can't. We, the reason most people don't make it in any area of life is they're in such a big hurry for everything. We want everything yesterday. We have no ability to wait. And listen, God. I mean, Caleb. Did, he had to wait a long time, but God took care of him. It's an important thing to remember. So now, notice in verse ten. And I. I this is where I'm going to go into opinion here. This is just, this is my thoughts. It says, and now behold. The Lord hath kept me alive, as He said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. So we know uh, we've kind of got a timeline here. Now, there's been about five years that we've been, we've covered in the book of Joshua, where they've just been winning all these battles for five years, just battles, battles, battles. That's a long time fighting battles, but you know, five years, but it was victory, victory, victory. And now Caleb is 85 years old and it says, and yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. Now, this is my opinion. I I personally believe that this wasn't just Caleb. He was on a good diet. He was just a real healthy guy. I think God really blessed him here. We see that God, I mean, uh, He made their clothes to last for the entire 40 years. Their shoes didn't even wear out during that time. That was a miracle of God that He did for the people. If God can keep your clothes and your shoes from wearing out for 40 years, you know what I think He can do? I think He can keep a man from aging for 40 years. Because think about this. Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Caleb did everything right. And so, you know, the thing is, though, who cares if you get all this inheritance... When you've got one foot in the grave and another on the banana peel. You know, if you're old and about to die. But it's all, I it's, it's my opinion. I think God kept him alive. God kept him strong. And you know, and who cares too, if you have it all those years, but you're too old to enjoy it. So I think God, it's almost like God just kind of kept him there. And just so he could have the same amount of years he would have had, had everybody done like Caleb did. So that's just my opinion. I think Caleb was 85, but I think he looked like he was—I think he looked like he was 40. I, that, that's that's my for 45. That, that's my personal opinion on that. And I think I think he got just he got to enjoy just as much time with his inheritance as he would have if everybody else would have ate. So that's what I think God did with Caleb right there. Maybe he was just a super tough guy and really healthy, but you know I I, I think God does that kind of thing. We even see with Moses, he was 120. And the Bible says, you know, that his eyes were not dim, nor his natural forces abated. You know, he was somebody that was still very healthy at 120, but because of that one sin, God didn't let him go into the promised land. And so maybe it was like God wasn't Agent Moses either. If I was a Ruckmanite, I would teach that. All right. I would just teach that and I would and I include Joshua, too. But I would just teach that as a fact. But I don't know. This is this is my opinion. And, and I'm not going to say it about Joshua because the Bible doesn't say, but it's just it's just what I think. So uh, allow me to speculate, all right? But uh, I, don't, I don't think it uh, goes against anything in the Bible. But anyway, verse 12 says, Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in the day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, that I should be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Now, I don't believe Caleb is making a, a selfish request here because, you know, it's not a sin to want something. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if God wants you to have it. Okay. Listen, let me just go and say that, you know, it's not it's not wrong for us as a church to want some things. Sunday, we went and drove by that one building. But, now, now, here's the thing. We're not allowed to go take it. All right. We, we can't we can't do like Caleb did back then and just go take it. And, you know, and we've come up with plans that would probably work, but God would not bless for sure. And we're not going to do that. Okay. We are not going to do that. But you know what? If we were to just look, you know, cause I, I, you know, I hate to tell everybody this, but we're maxing this place out in a lot of ways already. We're using this entire building. And let me tell you something. When we started, when we, when we started the church over there, one of my goals was like, we've got to be using this whole place because, you know. If you use it, you lose it. But if you use it, God increases it. So it's like God has given us all this for a reason. Let's use all of it. And I believe God will increase it. And so you know what? We're using this place. Okay, this place is getting very well used. And we could already use some more room in some areas. And he said, oh, but man, you know, what about all the work we've done? What about all the money we've paid and all these things? You know what? If we need it back, the Lord will help us sell this place for a lot more than what we paid for. He'll take care of all that. He did it with the last building. And, you know, we are, we're going to keep using this, you know, just, and we're going to be thankful for it. And, and I am, I'm still thrilled with it, but you know what? We need to be like Caleb and we need to start looking around and just seeing things and say, you know what? I want that. It's okay to do that. It's okay to look and say, I want that mountain. We sing the song. I want that mountain. It's okay for us to want things in this church. And just—and I do, I, I check places out all the time. I think, you know, our church could use that. Our church could do something with that. Because I'm telling you, some of these other places aren't doing nothing with it. And as long as whenever we look at these things, you know, we understand we're, we're, we're dependent on God to get these things. And so when Caleb saw this mountain, he knew about the giants and things that were there. He, he was familiar with all that, but you know what? Caleb has seen enough after what he'd seen in the last five years, Caleb knew we can take, in fact, Caleb didn't even need what they'd seen in the last five years. He was ready to go take on the giants 45 years before that was the kind of faith he had. And he's like, if the Lord wants us to have this, we're going to take it. I see a mountain. This is good land. This is what I would like for to be my possession. I was promised a good possession. I was promised a good inheritance by Moses because I wholly followed the Lord. Now, Joshua, you're the one in charge. You know, you're know, you the leader. I'm following your lead. But I'm asking you, can I go take it? And you know what? We know the story. Joshua let him do it. It says, And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. I like how he gave it to him before he even took it. Cause I mean, that, that's just how, that's just how sure, sure they were. You know, we need, we need to be that way. You know, we need, we need to be that sure about things when we ask God for things that he's gonna do, that we just already start making plans for it. That, that that's how we ought to be, and, uh, we'll, we'll see great things. The problem with most Christians today, we just don't ask God for anything. And if we do ask God for anything, we don't think he's gonna do anything. I'm so sick of Christians that I just have this pr- attitude of prayer. Well, I guess all we can do is pray. <laughs> like that's your last resort. And, it's, and, and then you say it like it's hopeless. I hate that attitude. Okay? I, I hate that attitude. I was just you know, doing some arguing on social media on end times today with some people, and it was pretty friendly. But you know, one of the preachers brought up how you know, the thing that he didn't like about you know, the post-trib mentality is it sounds like it's giving us an excuse to kind of slack off and delay. You know, And I told him, listen, all the post-trib churches I know are very aggressive in their soul winning. And I was like, a lot of pre-trib churches I know, they're already acting like they're in the tribulation and just waiting for God to come deliver them out of tribulation. That's most churches today. Most pre-trib churches today are just sitting there like they're in tribulation, just, well, I hope this trumpet sounds tonight, get us out of this misery. Well, as post trivers we're all just waiting to get killed and waiting to get persecuted. And we're like loving life and just, you know, going at it and excited and fired up, you know, and it's it's, it's funny. But, you know, that I mean, that seems like that would be the mentality. But, you know, isn't that that same type of reasoning? What the uh, work salvation crowd says about us when we believe in eternal security? Well, if I believe in eternal security... I would just get saved and i go do a b- whole bunch of horrible stuff. But yet, people who believe in eternal security are victorious in their life. They're thankful for their salvation. They actually get victory over their sin. They actually love the Lord. And it turns out it was the goodness of God that led them to repentance. And it wasn't their repentance that made them good. I mean, it, it's, isn't it amazing how when you actually go with what the Bible says and you just forget the human reasoning, you end up getting what the Bible promised. It's amazing, it's amazing how that works. But you know we're not seeing that we're, we're not seeing this we, that attitude today. There's such a defeatist attitude in churches today, and I'm telling you, I don't, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to be a part of a congregation like Caleb had to be with in the beginning. That as soon as a challenge comes up, everybody's crying about it. We can't do that. I, I, I don't I don't want I don't want to pastor a church like that. I don't want to have to de- I, you know I I would hate to have had Moses's job. You know there's a lot of pastors out there today they. I think they feel like Moses, like, and and I've heard them say it. It's like they, you know, they're always talking about Moses and dragging around them grumbling Baptists in the wilderness for forty years. You know, why why do they say that? Because they feel like they're just constantly just trying to get their church to move forward, just trying to get them out of the wilderness, trying to get them in the Promised Land. They just can't get them there. You know, that, that is that is no way to be. It is it's not good, and we shouldn't be that way. But so we've talked a lot about the total obedience of Joshua, but Caleb while having a lower rank than Joshua, he was somebody who lived up to his potential. And so verse 15 says, "...and the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, uh, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war." So what we're seeing in this chapter, it's during a time of rest, because remember in the previous chapters, they kind of seized from the wars, they've kind of gone into a time of rest. But what ends up happening here during this time, even though as as a nation they've kind of stopped fighting for a while, Caleb, he get, you know, he sees a land that he wants. He sees a possession that he would like to have. Not just because he's being selfish too. He's thinking about his children. He's thinking about the next generation, because this land is going to be, is supposed to be in his family forever. So if you're thinking that way, I mean, aren't you going to want a good plot of land? And so he's seeing that. He's not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about the next generations. So he's like, you know what? I want to, I'm going to go take that land. And so what we're kind of seeing here is kind of a side battle fought by Caleb possessing even more land, even though Israel was basically done taking land during this particular time. But Caleb, he, did, he, he saw a mountain. He wanted to possess it. He requested that he be allowed to go and take that mountain. And Joshua and the Lord allowed it. And we know that Caleb succeeded. So if I can just now kind of preach to you a little bit about wanting mountains, right? About wanting mountains. We need to have that attitude of, I want that mountain. And so uh, verse, notice what it says in verse 12. He says, now, therefore, give me this mountain. And, And I don't think that, I don't think he was doing this like a millennial. I don't think he was doing it like an American. Give me this mountain. Or I'm going to protest. Or I'm going to vote Democrat next time. No, that, that's not that's not what he was doing. Okay, you know this was it uses the term "give me," but you know it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a give me attitude like we have today. No, he's he's going to the leadership there and he's saying, "Listen, I want this. Let me have it. Say the word, and I'm, I'm going to go take it." And he did. He had a submissive attitude when he did it. And you know the problem that we have today. In churches, the one of the reasons we're not seeing a lot accomplished about Christianity is nobody's asking for anything. Nobody's asking for anything. You know, you, know what, you know what happens in most churches today? Pastors, they gotta get up in church and they gotta beg their people to want something they got to beg their people to do something. They've got to, if they're going to try to get a building program or something going in the church, they've got to do inspirational videos. They've got to get this super impressive slideshow. Uh, they got to bring in the guest speakers. they got to have the sappy music. And they got to do something to pull your heartstrings to just manipulate you emotionally into wanting to do something for God. And they just, and then they do it. And they're all excited, all fired up. And then the people just kind of sit out there, just, you hear crickets, nobody cares. And, and they're discouraged. I, i've known a lot of pastors and i'm not saying they were right when they did this maybe they weren't right you know I i'm not going to pretend to know the situation but i've known a lot of pastors who have felt the lord wanted them to you know do a building program or something like that and then the church just shot it down and then the pastor quit okay now you say oh you know he should have he should have toughed it out he should but you know Listen, there are churches, and I've heard many pastors say this, and this is just a fact. There's a lot of churches out there that they are referred to as graveyards for preachers. Where they just literally go there and they die. They've got these old relics in the church that have been deacons since they got off of Noah's Ark in that church. And these people are not changing on anything. They are never going to do anything. That church is never going to go anywhere. They run the pastor. They, they kill the spirit in that church. And let me tell you something. You know, you can't, you can't blame a young guy for thinking he's got, you know, got the ability to go in there and motivate these people to get something accomplished and they get in there and they're just fought every step of the way. You know, I don't think they ought to just stay there and rot. You know, I don't, I really don't blame them that much. But either way, I just say all that to say, most pastors, they, they just can't get their people wanting God to do anything. They're not looking for anything to happen. There's no mountains that they want. They, the people when they come to the church, they're, they're not looking for God to do anything. They're not They're not looking to do anything themselves. There's no land, figuratively speaking, that they're wanting to possess. They're, they don't see the souls that are out there. They don't have any kind of plan. They're not thinking about knocking all the doors in their area. They're not thinking about how many people they can get saved that year. They're not thinking about those things. They'll buy about the best that they can do. One thing old IFB churches are pretty good at doing is getting their congregations to give money towards foreign missions. And I hear, and here's why I think they're successful doing that. And I'm not against that. But I think one of the reasons a lot of the churches that are the most successful, and I'm sure there's exceptions, but from what I've seen, the ones that are the most successful in giving money to foreign missions, they have no soul winning in their local area. And I think it's that church's way of feeling like we're doing the Great Commission. You know, look at all these missionaries for supporting, why they have their local social club. And it's like, man, I'm glad you're getting those people on the other side of the world saved, help them there. But, you know... How about your own neighborhood? Why don't you do something about that? And but unfortunately, I, I do. I think I think a lot of that missions money is guilt money that they're given. It's like they know they know they should be out there doing something. I, I'd rather get fifty dollars a month to let somebody else do it all for me. I mean, let's just think about this carnally. I know you all soul in out of conviction, okay. Most of you in here, you'd probably feel bad if you didn't. But think about it. What if, and, and no pastor's ever said this, okay, no pastor ever will say this, but I'm, I'm, I'm convinced I was going, what if I told you, you know, any guilt that you would feel for not going soul winning, you could completely eliminate if you were just to give 50 to $100 a month towards missions. I mean, now, first off, you know what that would do? That would help if all the families, you know, gave an extra $100 a month of missions. Man, we could support a lot of missionaries if we did that. But then, you know, but so the thing is, a lot of people it's like, man, I spent a lot of time soul I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. It'd be a lot easier to just give 100 bucks a month and me not have to do anything. And I'm telling you, I, I know nobody preachers ever got up and done that in their church, but I believe that's just kind of what's happened. People have, have decided I'll just pay somebody else to do what I don't want to do. No, I'm sorry, God needs you to do this. God needs those missionaries too. You know, thank God, thank God for them. But don't think you just dropping some money and offering plate, you know, get you off the hook. You need to go out and spread the gospel. You need to go out and tell somebody how to get saved. That's a really important thing. And and unfortunately the, the vision's just it's not there in a lot of churches. And that, that's a shame. You know, if, and so, if they aren't, uh, you know, if they are looking for something in a lot of these churches, usually it's something that's not godly. You know, a lot of churches, it's all about the building, it's all about the, you know, the campus, it's all about the palace. They give this, and listen. There's nothing wrong with having a, a nice place, but you know, we should always have the attitude that you know we we have these things to use. That that that's the point. Of having these things I don't want this church to be a museum I want to try to keep it nice I think we all could do a little better job you know cleaning up after ourselves while we're here too I think we could all work on that a little bit but at the same time this isn't a museum I want people to be able to come and fellowship I want kids to be able to come to church and have fun at the end of the day we're gonna use this place because let me tell you we got some nice museums around here and you know what they're full of old relics (laughs) and no young people and I'm not trying to pick on the old people But they've scared, a lot of times they've scared all the young people away because they're so worried about, you know, keeping their precious furniture, you know, looking pristine. And that's, that is not the way it should be for a church. And so our attitude ought to be, if we're looking at another building or if we're looking at expansion, as long as it's not about, well, this will make me look good. No, we should look at it that we could use this for the Lord. We could use this for the glory of God. If we had this, that's just more that we could do. And, and, and that's what our attitude's always been. And, you know, and the Lord has blessed us greatly in what we've been able to accomplish with very little money on that end. Do you, know, do you know, I figured out the other day, we've got over 10,000 square foot here. Over 10,000 square foot. You know what? Our, with our mortgage, we're, you know, and we own this too, by the way, so nobody can get us kicked out of here. If they don't like what we're preaching, thank the Lord for that because that's a, that's a legitimate concern for some people. Uh, but we're paying less than a dollar a month per square foot. Do you realize how crazy that is? Okay And you know what? It's because, for one, we've never had that much money, <laughs> but two, it's the Lord allowing us to have a lot. You know why? Because we use everything we get for. Them. And that's the, that's the way we, that's the attitude we need to have. And so if we keep using what we have, God's just going to increase it. That's the, that's the way these things work. James 4:1. We all know this passage. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts, which war in your members? Ye lust and have not; ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. We need to learn the difference between wanting something for the glory of God and wanting something to consume it upon our lusts. That's what we need to do. One of the reasons we don't get what we ask for is because everything we ask for is that could just fill our lust. And what we need to do is we need to ask the Lord to give us a hunger for the things of of His will. The things that will bring glory to Him. The things that can be used for Him. That needs to be the desire in our heart. And if we do, if we get that desire that, hey, I want this for God. I I want to use this for the glory of God. Then, you know what we could do? We could ask for it and get it. But you know because the most people the reason they' you know so they're not they're not getting because the things they ask for for their lust but they're not asking for things that are for the glory of God and the reason for that is because they're not looking they're not interested in that folks we've got to get interested in that that should be a priority as a church we glorify God that we do things for God that we do great things for him say so, well you know I'm I need to worry more about my own personal finances and I got all these things I'm trying to accomplish in my life. Listen, here's the thing. A lot of the things that we need to do for the glory of God are going to cost money. If we need money, guess who the Lord is going to use to provide that money? You all. And so maybe if you got a burden for the things of God, the Lord would give you what you need to help this church with what it needs. You know what that means? That that's. That's your benefit, isn't it? That, that's good for you. And it just means the Lord might end up blessing your job. The more Lord might end up helping give you that raise that you need. But the problem is you don't really need it right now. Now, you need it to get the you know, more expensive cable package. You know, you need that raise to get the nicer car. You need that raise to get whatever it is you're wanting to consume upon your own lust. But you know what? Maybe if you needed a raise so you could give more to the things of God, so we could grow things for the glory of God, then maybe you'd actually get it. But unfortunately, that's just not a desire for a lot of people. And that's why we're, we're just not seeing anything. Folks, we need to have that vision. It can't just be the pastor. And it's and it's not here. But I, I, I want to get you want more mountains. I want you want more of these things. Because if we do, God can help us get the victories in these areas. God can help us be victorious. God can give us and God will give us what we need. So we need some of God's people also... To actually do something small before they try asking for something big. Now look at what it says in verse 7. It says, 40 years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. You know, Caleb, he didn't just go and go after that mountain. That wasn't the first thing he did. You know what? Caleb fought for Israel for a long time. Caleb wandered in the wilderness with him for 40 years and was was a faithful servant to Joshua. Caleb was a faithful spy. When that's all his job was to just go be a spy and give a report, you know what he did? He came back and he gave a good report. Even though people wanted to stone him after he gave the report that he did because they didn't like what he was saying, Caleb did what he was supposed to do and he did it right. He did it with all his heart. He wholly followed the Lord and he did it in something small. And you know what? Later on in his life, we see God allowing him to do something big. And uh, he still had that 40 years wasted. You know what? God didn't let those years get wasted. That's one of the biggest mistakes that young preachers make. And I I mean, it's one I could have easily made. made, Thankfully, I didn't because I saw enough bad examples. When when I was in my early 20s, I remember, in fact, we were living, uh, I was probably 21 because we were living at the house in LaSalle, the first one, when we got married, the the tiny one. I remember it was a Sunday morning, I was walking around, you know, and I was just feeling discontent, still remember this and thinking, you know, I would really like to just go ahead and pastor a church or, you know, be a, see if I could get a job as a full-time assistant somewhere in another church. Cause I was just part-time, uh, at lighthouse at the time I was working a full-time job and I didn't like it. And I remember just praying you know, Lord, give me a better job in that area. And then, you know, and I, and I remember, I remember on that walk thinking and I started thinking about people, preachers that I knew, and I'm not going to name any of them, but like ones that were very close to my life that were a lot older than me. I got to thinking about it. And I remember, just, and, and, I'm, and folks, I'm not creating a rule. All right. You list people, just put your notebook up. All right. And don't write down what I'm about to tell you. Okay. This is just what, this is just what the Lord told me. Okay. All right. Don't take notes on this, okay? but uh, get the, get the spirit of what I'm about to say. Every, I knew several preachers that, in their 20s, jumped around from ministry to ministry to ministry, and, and it was, and then it wasn't until they were 30. I knew several that were at 30 or right around it when they finally got settled into the ministry where God really blessed them. And I, and I remember thinking, you know, I don't really want to move around my kids all over the place. I don't want, I don't want that instability. I knew a lot of preachers' kids that were way behind in school. Because they had moved around so much. They got way behind on those things. I was like, I don't want that for my kids. They need some stability. And so I remember thinking, you know, there's a lot of people that I know, that I know personally in my life that really got going at 30. Uh, I mean, Jesus started his ministry at 30. And I was like, you know, I probably should just hang around here for a long time. And I, and I remember thinking, you know, and I remember in my mind thinking, there was like 10 years. Uh, 10, but I ended, I ended up saying, I ended up saying it all 30, 10 years. Let me tell you, it was long. it it, it was a long 10 years. I had to be, when I, to go full time, I had to be the school administrator. That's the worst job in the world. I was just talking to one the other day. Uh, Capriati's. you know him, used to go to church with him. He's a school administrator at his church. The guy's got the greatest attitude I've ever seen out of a school administrator. And I told him that. I was like, man, I've always appreciated your attitude. Most school administrators I know are jerks. And, but I think he's just where the Lord's called him. And so the Lord's made him happy. But Man, I wasn't meant for that job, you know, and uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't like it at all. And but, I mean, I did make the best of it. I eventually enjoyed it and all that. But, but, but either way, you know, I say all that to say that, you know, looking back, I am so glad I didn't start a church earlier than I did, take a church somewhere. I am so thankful for the way things worked out. And that was God's plan for me. I'm not telling anybody you have to wait till you're 30 to do anything, but you know what? I am saying this. You should actually do something, accomplish something before you get the big job. I think that's just uh, a good rule of thumb. You need to prove faithfulness somewhere before you, uh, you know, get that big job. Before you go asking to take a mountain, you know, do something first. That that needs to be uh, that needs to be the attitude. And you know, I've seen this a lot in my life. That there's a lot of people. They come into churches. And they do, they just want, they want them out and handed to them. I've known people that have just wanted churches handed to them. You know, and my dad, he would, he never would put up with that. He would always tell them, you know, just go get a Sunday school class going first. You know, my, my dad did that one time with a guy. He's, he wanted to start a church. He's like, you know, why don't you get a Sunday school class going first? Why don't you go and see if you can start getting some people from this area, to come to church and, you know, you get a group that will do something. Never, never got one person just didn't do anything. And God, Dad even gave him a room. We have a class. He went and would sit in there every week, just waiting for people to show up. Every week. And I, I'd walk by there every week as I'd go to my class. And I remember just thinking nobody's going to show up if you don't go out and invite people. You know, people aren't just going to magically wake up in your town one day and be like, hey, I'm going to go see if they have a Sunday school class in this church for that one town. <laughs> you know, no, nobody does that. What did they want? They wanted it handed to them. But you know what you need to do? You need to actually go accomplish something first. You need to go take something first. And, and, and you need to see something. And, you know, maybe see something in this area and say, you know, hey, I want to go take that. You know what we need? You know, we need to have this statue. Maybe have a man in this church who just goes and says, hey, you know what, Pastor? Just give me a few guys and we're going to go knock out an entire town. We're going to, go, we're, we're going to get it. You know, this, this town, that's my mission. We're going to knock every, every single one of those doors. We're not going to leave any stone unturned. Pastor, give me the country. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to cover you know, 50 square miles. We're going to knock all those houses in the country, whatever whatever it is. you know, Get a vision for something. I don't, mean, don't make me get up here and get, drop hints and give you a bunch of ideas. But you know what? Just look and say, hey, what would we like to have in this church? And you just say, Pastor, let me go get that. Let me go see if I can accomplish that. Let me see if I can make this happen for this church, for the glory of God. And you know what? I believe if you'll do that, one of these days, maybe you want to ask for something bigger and say, you know what? I want to go take this town. I want to go start a church there. Well, you know what? We've seen you accomplish things before. We saw you show faith when you were a spy in the land. We saw you show, show faith. When you, and we saw, we saw that you had consistency when you had to put up with dealing with the wilderness for 40 years because of all your backslidden brothers and sisters. You know what? Let me tell you something about the ministry. You better learn how to put up with people. Man, you better learn how to do that. Otherwise, you will not make it. This isn't corporate world where we can just go firing people and then get some new people. All right? that's, just, that's not how it works. You just got to put up. That's why there's a lot of verses about that in the Bible. But either way, we need people like that that will do something small before they try doing something big. We need God's people to recognize what God has done in the past and what God has done in the lives of others. Look what he says in verse 10. Uh, it says, And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses... Which the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now lo, I am this day, fourscore, and five years old. You know what? Caleb, he was able to see what God had done in his life. Caleb, Caleb looked, and he was like, you know what? I'm looking at these sixty-year-olds, you know, guys 20 years younger than him. And He's like, I'm in better shape than those guys. You know, he's like, God has miraculously done something in my life because of this. God has got me to this place, I'm still able to fight just like I was when I was 40 years old. You know what? God's got something that He wants me to do. And you know what? Some of y'all need to, be, to take the time sometime, to just look back in your life, look at the things that are unique to you and your situation, your unique experiences, things that... And there's some things that only you can do and nobody else can do. But you, And you need to understand those things that you've gone through, things that you've dealt with, that God has put these things in your life so you can use it for His glory somewhere. Now, I can't tell you what that is. Okay, I don't know everything about you, all your background, all your experiences, but I can promise you this, God has led you to where you are now. You need to look and say, all right, this, this is who I am. This is what I've got. All right, what does God want to do with it? How can I take what God has given me and how can I go and use it for God? And that's something that many people are lacking today. They don't take the time to just think about what God's done and realize you know, God's had a plan the whole time. Hey, you know, I'm 40 years old. Whatever God has want me to do in these next years, I've had 40 years to prepare for it. Now, you need to understand that too. However old you are, whether you're 30, 40, or 50, that's how many years God has been preparing you for something He wants you to do from here on out. You know what you should probably do? Figure out what that is and make it happen and do something with it. And that's what Caleb did. And Caleb, when he realized, man, God's done something in my life. God has given me strength. You know what? I think He still wants me to fight. And I'm going to go take that mountain. And he didn't say I'm 85. He realized, no, I I can still do this. God has done this for me. And so I'm going to accomplish something with it. And so uh, we we should be able to look back and see the hand of God in our life. And you say, well, I've been through a lot of bad things. Well, God probably put you through those Prepare, prepare you for something. The, the bad situations are some of the things that God uses to mold us and make us who we are more than anything else. Some of the tragedies, some of your mistakes, things. God allowed those things to happen to you for a reason. You know what? Make the best of it. Make the best of it and find out what God has in store. You know, And so, uh, you know, Caleb was a fantastic example. And what we didn't need to do... We need to be looking for mountains. And when we see that mountain, we need to have full confidence like Caleb that God wants to do great things in life. God wants to do great things at Liberty Baptist Church, but God doesn't want to just do great things through Pastor Tommy McMurtry. God wants to do great things to the individuals here in this church. God doesn't want just Joshua conquering the land. God wants the Caleb's conquering the land too. He doesn't want just you know Liberty Baptist Church conquering the mountains. He wants somebody in this church To conquer these mountains and to go do something with it but you know what we've got to make sure our this is the most important thing our hearts are right we've got to prepare our hearts we've got to get our hearts right caleb had his heart right caleb Caleb was there caleb was ready 40 years before i mean and think about that 45 years he had to wait to get what was coming to him it should have only been five he had to wait he had to wait 45 but the lord took care of him and I like what it says in Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. I believe this is still God's attitude today. You ought to underline this. You ought to tattoo this on your eyelid and you ought to think about it every day. It says in, and on the inside of your eyelid so you can see it all the time. Don't actually go do that, please. But Second Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong... In the, in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And he's saying this, getting on to Asa, because he was not that guy. said, here and now hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Now, unfortunately, this guy didn't get it right, but I love what the prophet says to him here, that God is looking for somebody to show himself strong in. Did you know that we have a powerful God? I think we all know that. Well, God is looking to use a man... To prove he's powerful, God is looking for a church to prove that he's got power. We've got a lot of people out there today saying that the you know that the IFB is on his way out. That the, you know that it's it's only a matter of time and it's going to be gone. That's what they're saying about things like the IFB. But you know what? I personally believe. God wants to show these people that he's not done with independent fundamental Baptists. I think God's wanting to show these clowns out there, these queer little trendies that are going along with every fad and every trend just to try to impress people and to make themselves look successful. I think God is wanting to show himself strong in an independent fundamental Baptist church and one that has separation and one who preaches out of this King James Bible, the one who has their doctrine, right? He's wanting to show himself strong. But you know what? Our hearts have to be right. In that area. So, I mean, folks, if we really believe that the Lord is looking for this, why wouldn't we be trying to prep ourselves to be that one? Why wouldn't we be doing whatever we could to get our heart right so God can show Himself strong? Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be in that, I don't want this church to become that graveyard for preachers. I don't want to be like that pre trib church that thinks acting like they're already in the tribulation, just waiting for the trumpet to sound. I want us to be actively doing something. I want us to be moving forward. I want us to be accomplishing things. I want us to see miracles. And you know, and I and I hope my heart's right in these things. Sometimes it's just because, you know, you, you want to see the trendy squirm and, you know, uh, things like that. Maybe that's bad reason. But I do I, I want I believe God isn't done with our type of church. And so I want him to prove it with the church. I would prefer it be this one. Okay, if we're if we're just looking to be a part of the club of dead churches, I'm not interested in it. There's a ton of those out there. Let's be that unique one. So have have that vision. Okay, don't get nervous. If I get up in church and start saying, you know, we should try accomplishing this, we should try doing this, we should try taking this mountain, and you know what? Don't you be afraid. To, and, and, and listen, some of y'all. And a lot of people I've been to a lot of church, a lot of people they're always getting visions for mountains that they want the pastor to go take <laughs> Listen I mean I, you know that, that's great, but you know listen if if the Lord shows you a mountain, he probably wants you to get it He probably wants you to take it and listen I, I, you know if God's in it man I'll be right there with you I'd be glad to help but don't just don't just give me more mountains all right, all right, you know that's a that's another thing right there. And Caleb, didn't, and Caleb didn't do that to Joshua. He didn't say, I want that mountain. Go get it for me, Joshua. No, he's, like, he's like, let me at it. We need that attitude of people just saying, let me at it. Let me at it, Pastor. Let, let me go get this. Let, let, me, let me accomplish. Let's go get this done. We want to see God do great things. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, great example that we see from the life of Caleb. Uh, just an example of faith, uh, an example of patience. And uh, Lord, we see... Uh, a great example of how you keep your promises and you follow through with what you promise people and how you take care of things. And I pray you'll help us to uh, be like him, help us to get a vision, help us to see those mountains and to go after them and pursue them. And pray that you'll, uh, you'll accomplish many great things in our lifetime and in this church. In your name we pray. Amen.